things our students really love about the community and it's something that I love and I think staff and faculty and other people you know related to the university love is the community and how supportive people are of each other so of course you know the students that we're looking for and typically the students who are attracted to Notre Dame are students who want to be part of that inclusive community. Welcome to the DEI podcast at Notre Dame Law School a new podcast where we talk all things diversity, equity, inclusion, unity, belonging, and of course, law. I'm your host, Max Gaston, and I'm the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Notre Dame Law School. On this inaugural episode of the DEI podcast, we're going to be talking about one of the seminal ways we create diversity and inclusion in the study and practice of law. And that is, of course, through none other than law school admissions. The law school admissions process to get into law school is notoriously competitive and for many applicants, considerably opaque. Higher education in the U.S. has historically been a space reserved for the privileged few. But today, in the aftermath of incidents like the 2019 college admissions bribery scandal and the movement for racial justice following the murder of George Floyd and countless other black lives, The urgency to respond to historical inequity in the law school admissions process seems to be greater than ever before. Helping us to unpack some of the big questions around the law school admissions process and offering her candid advice on how to navigate that process is Marisa Simon, our very own Director of Admissions here at Notre Dame Law School. We'll talk about the admissions process generally go through the specific parts of the Notre Dame Law School application, and get Marisa's take on what students should consider in areas such as personal statements, LSAT, GPA, character and fitness questions, and addenda when applying to Notre Dame Law School. Marisa, first of all, welcome to the DEI podcast, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Max, for inviting me. And I also just want to say thank you for all that you do for the law school community here at Notre Dame. So there's so much to talk through when looking at the law school admissions process, whether that's looking at it through the lens of diversity and inclusion or looking at it generally. And I guess I wanted to start by asking one of the most common questions that the law school gets from prospective students, which is, what do you look for when you read an application to decide if it's going to be successful? Sure. So it really comes down to a lot of things. And I know that we're going to break that down further. Uh, You know, first, we're looking for a student, of course, who we believe can be successful academically in our law school program. Um, You know, we want a student who will not only kind of make it through our uh, rigorous legal education, but who will be successful, of course, after they graduate too in the profession. Um, So we look at a variety of things in the application. Like I said, we're going to go through that, um, each of those pieces individually. Uh, But, you know, overall, we want a student who can be successful. And of course, then more specifically for Notre Dame, we're looking for a student who is a good fit for our community, who really believes in the mission and the values of our law school and who can articulate that in relation to their own values and their own aspirations with their legal education and their careers. As the Director of Admissions and the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Marisa and I work closely together to assess all aspects of the law school's application and to review the countless number of applications we receive every year from prospective law students. We also take questions from students at law fairs, in private meetings, and over email. 
Some of the most common questions students ask have to do with trying to uncover what the secret ingredients are to making your application distinguishable from the pack. But as Marisa explains, the goal of an applicant shouldn't necessarily be to distinguish themselves, but rather to put together an application that can be successful. One of the areas Marisa and I spend the most time talking about is the personal statement and different ways that a personal statement can have an impact on an applicant's considerations. The question I think I get the most is, how do I stand out in the application process? And the reality is, of the you know few thousand applications we read every year, um, there's maybe a handful of students that actually stand out from that whole pool. And it's not always for good reasons. So I try to advise students, the goal isn't really to stand out. The goal is to be admitted. Um, and there's more than a few hundred students who are admitted to our law school every year. Um, not all of those students stood out but they were all students that we believed truly could be successful in our program and that we really wanted to have at our law school. Um, So really the goal for each student when they're approaching their own application is to really just be genuine to themselves and to try to provide as much information as they can to us through the application. I think more specifically to the personal statement, um, you know, some common issues that I see is a student not focusing enough on themselves in the personal statement. Um, You know, this is really, there's only two pages where a student gets to tell us in their own words who they are, what's important to them, and what they plan to do with their legal education and career. And, uh, you know, some students will spend a little bit too much time focusing maybe on a singular event or a person who has influenced them and not actually get enough into the essay about themselves. Um, And so that is something I definitely recommend for students, you know, after writing that to really go back and look at it and think about, um, you know, how much of themselves are they getting into the application. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, because I oftentimes find that people maybe don't fully understand what the ask is in a personal statement, you know, and when you read thousands of these applications and you start to see, okay, this person kind of got it, they understood, and this person sort of missed the mark. One of the things I think is the most important is authenticity, specifically with the writing submission, because we can tell when you're faking it. Mm -hmm. You know, we can see when an application doesn't uh, does an applicant doesn't necessarily mean what they're saying or they're trying to sort of figure out what the what the reader is looking for Mm -hmm. to try to curry favor with the reader. What do you think is a way for students to uh, or what's maybe some some best practices that students should follow when they're looking at crafting a personal statement that's going to be successful? Sure. So I usually talk students through the essay kind of from the initial, you know, considerations and framework through after, you know, having fully completed writing it all out. So in the beginning, especially for a student who hasn't even, you know, really started or thought about the personal statement yet, I encourage them to get interviewed, um, you know, by a friend or family member who can ask them kind of the, you know, the basic questions they should be answering in their law school applications. You know, why are you applying to law schools? Why do you want to be an attorney? Um, You know, or what do you want to do with your law degree? Is there a specific area you're interested in? Why? You know, why are you applying to the schools that you've chosen in those specific programs? Um, And to have a conversation with that person. And so then the applicant can then answer these questions in a conversational way and, 
you know, if you can ask this person to then take notes from what you're saying, especially if they can write anything, you know, word for word, or, or you maybe you even record your interview with them. Um, you can then use these notes to start drafting your personal statement. So, you know, everything that you've said, of course, is in your own words, and it's much easier for most people to, you know, have a conversation, especially with someone that they're close with, um, than it is to sit down to a blank computer screen and to start writing to an anonymous person about themselves. Um, So I think that's a great way to get started on the personal statement. In addition to recommending that students who are just beginning the writing process sit down and have a friend or family member interview them, Marisa recommends that applicants who are at the tail end of writing their personal statement find someone who doesn't know them at all and have that person read what they've written to provide feedback. The reason for this is that someone who is unfamiliar with the applicant is similarly situated to an admissions officer reading the application of someone they've never met. Thus, a person in that position is able to give the applicant an unbiased perspective that is not clouded by an otherwise personal relationship. They can tell the applicant whether or not their personal statement is conveying the authentic message the applicant is aiming for. Between the start and end of putting together a personal statement, Marisa recommends writing as much as you can to flesh out your ideas and only cutting down the statement once an applicant's entire concept has been developed. For actually writing the personal statement, I recommend writing as much as you want to say and not concerning yourself with the page limit, um, just kind of fleshing it all out initially. And then once you you know feel like you've included everything, now try to cut it back to two pages. That way you don't get stuck with the first two pages that you wrote. You know, if you included something in a third or fourth page, you can cut from the first two um, I can actually tell uh, we get essays where you can tell someone started writing, they got to two pages and thought, oh, I, I need to stop now. And they didn't really get to what they were trying to get to. Or like I said, they spend way too much time focused on describing an event that they, you know, we really didn't learn much about that person. So um, I think writing as much as you need to and then cutting out the areas that really are unnecessary to get it back down to those two pages then showing it to that person who, um, you know, maybe doesn't know the context that has not been included um, and getting their take on how they read that essay. One of the other things I think is really interesting about personal statement is figuring out the actual topic itself that you want to talk about. That's something that I notice a lot when I'm looking at personal statements and I'm reading them and I'm saying, okay, this one is you know, really pulling at my heartstrings or this one is really clearly well thought out and, you know, they're so motivated. And then this other person is, I don't know, talking about a sitcom in a non-compelling way, you know. So when people are thinking through uh, the topic for the personal statement, how they kind of want to frame it, what are some what are some of the things that really jump out to you as uh, as impactful when you're reading one a person's personal statement? I think it's important for the student to have done some deep reflection. Um, You know, kind of is what you're saying, the personal statements that we don't enjoy reading as much, um, you know, are the ones that seem maybe a little bit more superficial. Um, And so really a student who can dig deep, like I said, you know, think about their own values, their own aspirations, you know, how that's leading them to from what they've been through and are doing to what they plan to do, um, you know, 
like I said, we, we, we just want to learn for, about the student. So as much as a student can really get into for themselves in, in just those two pages, um, you know, those are the ones we enjoy reading the most, the ones that are most genuine. If your essay is really true to yourself, it will be unique from the other essays that we read because every person is unique. Um, so instead of focusing on what other people may be saying or what we want to hear from you, um, you know, think, really think about what it is that you want to say. Mm. And tying it back to why you want to be in law school. Right. Uh, because I've seen those statements too, where they give you this big impactful story, <laughs> but they say nothing about how that led them to this point where they actually want to be an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think that's interesting off of what you were saying was, you know, there are going to be stories that we've heard before. And when you have however many people applying to law school every single year, mm-hmm. no story is going to be original, mm-hmm. no matter how personal it is. And that's where I get back to that idea that authenticity is more important than originality. Mm-hmm. You know, start trying to stand out mm-hmm. is is not going to serve you as much as telling your story, even if it's been told a million times, but through your lens. Like, that's right. what will make a difference. Right. We can tell when a student is just writing to us what they think we want them to say or what they think might be surprising or different from other students. And that doesn't always read well. Uh, Like you said, authenticity is really the most important thing. The other thing I think is important about not just the personal statement, but your written submissions overall is making sure that they actually are well-written, clearly Mm. written, and love to hear from you why exactly it is that we look for clear writing in the first place in in, uh, an application. To be really honest, it means some of it is just timing. You know, we do receive a lot of applications and we have to read them quickly. We do read every application. We read every part of every application. But if you're, you know, your writing is confusing or it, it, it just there's we don't understand kind of where you're going with something that can just make it all that much more difficult for us to have a good feeling at the end of your application, trying to get through it. Um, you know, so as clear as you can be in really answering the prompts and, you know, like you were saying before, why you want to go to law school. Um, you know, we want to understand that from your application as a whole um, to make sure that your writing is clear. And again, that goes back to why it's important to have someone read your essay who maybe doesn't know you well and doesn't know your quirks or, you know, <laughs> your inside jokes um, that whatever you're saying to us as, you know, essentially strangers for the most part, um, that we're understanding what it is that you're trying to convey. And again, in just those two pages. My high school honors English teacher always used to say brevity and clarity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, I think, such a big thing. And as well, for all the reasons that you were saying, because that's what you're going to have to do in law school. Exactly. I was going to say a good skill for an attorney, too. (laughs) In addition to the personal statement, Notre Dame Law School has two supplemental statements that applicants are encouraged to submit. The first is called a different kind of lawyer statement. And here, the law school is drawing on its mission to educate a different kind of lawyer, one who sees the law as more than just a profession, but as a service to others. In the different kind of lawyer statement, applicants are encouraged to explore what makes them different, as well as the moral and ethical dimensions of the law and their unique roles in furthering the cause of justice. Students also have the option of writing a Why Notre Dame statement, where they can identify the specific reasons they believe the law school is the right choice for them. 
In addition to outlining the requirements for both statements, Marisa explained just how the different kind of lawyer and why Notre Dame statement are intended to speak to the law school's overarching goal of creating a diverse environment where all students feel like they belong and can reach their fullest potential. We have two supplemental statements that we recommend um, in our application. They are not required. Um, they are optional, but it is helpful to us if students are able to answer these prompts. Again, there is a two-page maximum, but particularly for these, there is no minimum. Uh, so if you do want to you know, submit a paragraph or two or a page, um, you know, that will suffice if you are able to answer the prompts in that space. Uh, we do have a why Notre Dame statement, which basically why you're interested in our law school. That's probably pretty common among, among most law schools. And I would say for any law school to which you're applying, you should be able to answer that question. If you can't tell the school why you're applying to that school specifically, probably should be wasting the application fee yourself. Um, so, you know, for us, of course, you know, we want to know why a student is interested in Notre Dame. You know, we feel that we have a unique program. Um, you know, we're very mission oriented. Um, we're a uniquely and uh, unapologetically Catholic institution. And, um, you know, would love for students to be able to talk about the mission of the law school and how that fits into their own personal values. And again, uh, you know, aspirations too of what Notre Dame can do for them in their legal education and their career, um, but also what they can contribute to our community. Um, we would particularly love to hear what they can contribute when it comes to diversity and inclusion in the Notre Dame community. Uh, you know, considering the overall mission of our school. So um, to be able to hear that from the students, both in the why under name statement and then, again, a slightly different prompt with the different kind of lawyer statement, again, focusing on mission, but with a different take. Um, we do have a link in the different kind of lawyer prompt with an essay from Dean Cole. Uh, and I think it's helpful for students to hear his message and his point of view. And of course, we're definitely not looking for students to write the same thing uh, that Dean Cole has seen, has uh, written for us. But um, to be able to learn from students from their perspective, um, their take. And, uh, you know, so those two essays are helpful for us. I do recommend that students submit them, especially if they have something to say. One of the things I think is really, really unique about Notre Dame in particular is how far and wide our students come from to come and attend this institution. And, you know, in addition to having different sort of regional, uh, regional uh, hometowns, they've got different cultural backgrounds, they've got different identities. Um, like you said, we're a you know, a proudly Catholic school, but you don't have to be Catholic to be here. Right. And in fact, we embrace people who come from different walks of life and different religious perspectives or who have no religious perspective whatsoever. And I think that's the thing that I always sort of lean into when I talk to students. It's, you know, a Catholic school where we're aspiring towards the mission of mm -hmm. Catholicism, right? And that means, you know, acceptance of all, you know, loving of all, kind of inclusivity. And that's something I, I think that some people some people miss sometimes, you know, they look at the why Notre Dame statement and they think that they need to sort of frame it in the, you know, um, I've been a Notre Dame diehard, you know, I bleed blue and gold. Mm -hmm. I, you know, come from a Catholic background and anything that doesn't fit that mold is disqualifying when the truth is we embrace students who, you know, who come from all different walks of life. 
Right. I mean, it goes back to what we've been saying all along about authenticity. You know, we want to hear from each individual student what their unique story is and how that ties into their interest for Notre Dame. Um, we, I don't want to read the same essay over and over again. That's not interesting to me. Now, that's not to say if your essay is the I was raised, you know, bleeding blue and right. cold, that's fine. If that is your your authentic story, then write that. Um, but we do want to learn, you know, again, for each student with every different background, every different life story, um, you know, different values and um, and different ideas about uh, the university, about the country and political views. You know, we have a very diverse community in ideology, too. So we want to hear from students, um, again, why they're interested specifically in Notre Dame Law School. The admissions department recently updated the Why Notre Dame statement, framing the prompt so as to encourage students to not just talk about why they're interested in and why they love Notre Dame, but to also talk about how they'll contribute to an inclusive environment in the law school. The reason for this change is in part because applicants generally displayed a tendency to misinterpret the different kind of lawyer statement specifically as a diversity statement. And that misinterpretation led students who presumed they didn't have a perspective to speak about diversity to opt out of writing the different kind of lawyer statement altogether. Though it's true that diversity can apply in different contexts, including diversity of thought, income, religious beliefs, gender identity, sexual identity, ideology, favorite color even, many only see it through the lens of race and believe that a diversity statement is only for applicants of color to write. But the remarkable thing about inclusion is that it lacks a similar misconception to the one about diversity. Because inclusion is more readily understandable to the common applicant as a value that anyone, notwithstanding their race, can have, it's something the admissions office hopes more students will write about when submitting their Why Notre Dame statement. In that sense, the admissions office is looking to create more opportunities for all students to speak to how they live up to the ideals that Notre Dame strives for and how they will demonstrate those ideals as a Notre Dame law student. One of the things our students really love about the community, and it's something that I love, and I think staff and faculty and other people you know, related to the university love is the community and how supportive people are of each other. So of course, you know, the students that we're looking for and typically the students who are attracted to Notre Dame are students who want to be part of that inclusive community, not just to be part of it, but to can actively contribute to it, um, to being supportive of their fellow classmates, regardless of their differences, or maybe because of their differences and being supportive of each other in that way and want Wanting to understand each other. And I think that's really how, in my experience as a Notre Dame student, and I would I would guess for a lot of others, how um, you really grow as a person through your Notre Dame education, not just in the academic coursework, of course, that's very important to your professional success, but um, to your personal success and how you live your life and the kind of person that you are can also be shaped by Notre Dame as a community. So to be uh, excited about contributing to that, we want to hear from students too about how they can support their fellow classmates and in the efforts of diversity and inclusion within the law school. We can all be inclusive. Right. And so that's something I think that uh, 
it's just it's great because it gives us the chance to sort of see, you know, when we want to build a student body that's made up of uh, Catholics and Jews and Muslims and black people and white people and Asian people and LGBT community folks and people from across the different spectrums. Who is it that's going to help us kind of unify, create the unity that we are looking for in a world, in a country that's particularly divided right now? Like that's something that's not always easy to to see in an application in other places. Right. And the more you can demonstrate that through other parts of your application, we are certainly looking there as well. But this, again, really gives students an opportunity to speak to that, um, you know, in ways that we may not be able to see through other parts of the application. There are some things we may learn from a letter of recommendation. And so, of course, you know, asking someone who knows you not just as a student, but as a person can be helpful, too, um, for us to learn about some of those personal characteristics. But again, through these statements is really the applicant's opportunity to tell us in their own words, um, you know, what this means for them. One of the things that uh, I think we should probably touch down on is uh, the one of the changes that was made in the application uh, recently in around early decision. Mm -hmm. uh, so early decision was something that was uh, previously considered when determining whether or not an application was going to be given a certain degree of advantage um, and we're no longer um, adhering to that process. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So our early decision process and um, what is typical in not just law school admissions, but in uh, other admissions to schools uh, is a process that is binding um, in which students apply knowing that if they are admitted, they have to be committed to attending that program. Um, so we did previously have an early decision program and we have decided to eliminate that program based off of the fact that it really just isn't the most inclusive policy. Um, you know, we had been awarding scholarships to students who were admitted in early decision, um, but students essentially had to commit prior to even knowing what that scholarship might be. I mean, they had to commit prior to knowing whether or not they would be admitted. Um, and so, you know, we want to give students the opportunity to, you know, make decisions for themselves. And, um, you know, while it is a common enrollment practice, um, you know, among other law schools and obviously, you know, something that Notre Dame had offered before, um, we really want to make the admissions process, try to make it as, as inclusive as possible for students um, and to not provide additional barriers. And so what the the early decision process really had done was to tell us the students who were absolutely, you know, committed to attending Notre Dame Law School, the students who, for whom Notre Dame was their top choice. And what it would also tell us for some of those students was that if finances wasn't going to be an issue. So what we really want to know from the application is, you know, if Notre Dame really is your top choice, if you're very interested in attending our program and our unique and specific program, um, then to just tell us that in the application. Um, you know, we did spend some time talking about the why Notre Dame statement and, of course, the related different kind of lawyer statement. So for students to be able to just articulate that in the application themselves, um, um, that's really what we're looking for ultimately. Um, and so we are eliminating early decision as an admissions policy. We will just have a regular decision rolling admissions process that will open in September. The application will close at, in mid-March. And throughout that time, we will conduct rolling admissions. We do encourage students to apply early on in the admission cycle because it is rolling, um, you know, 
that means that typically toward the end of the cycle, there are fewer spots that are available for students. And so, um, you know, if a student really wants to give themselves an advantage in the admissions process, um, you know, of course, beyond the actual pieces that they're submitting um, would be to apply earlier on in the admission cycle. Um, but at this time, starting with the next cycle, we will have no more early decision binding policy. Another change we're making to the application is to ask applicants about their identity with the LGBTQ community. These are optional questions, and in admissions, we hope to use the aggregate data to help measure the inclusivity of the admissions process and the diversity of the incoming class. Uh, also, if the student prefers and shares their information, um, we're happy to provide individual connections and resources within the law school community for those students. Max, how would you address a student who might identify with the LGBTQ community and be interested in Notre Dame Law School? Yeah, it's a good question. And I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is I'm glad that we are adding this question to the application because I think it's something that is really important. You know, we do go to and like you said, uh, we're proudly a Catholic institution, but I think the, you know, the 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 danger with, you know, questions like this is that sometimes applicants who are coming from uh, LGBT community will assume if they've had poor experiences or just given, you know, the history of the Catholic Church um, with with LGBTQ plus people will make an assumption that maybe this isn't going to be an inclusive environment for them or that's not a place that they can find uh, find community and belonging. I think that, you know, asking this question and we've talked a lot with our LGBT students about it is something that we need to do in order to track um, who is coming here and to see that we're actually doing a good job in you know creating the inclusive environment that we want to have mm -hmm. in terms of just talking to students and what I would say you know I think that when you come to a place like Notre Dame you're going to find people from all different sides of the spectrum you're going to find folks who are staunchly aligned with your views you're going to find community you're going to find support you're also going to find people who don't agree with your perspective necessarily and you know, I think that if the question is, will I find support here? Will I find a space where I belong here? I think the answer is yes. If the question is, you know, expanded and you're asking, am I going to be challenged here? You know, there will be people who will challenge your views, who will have different views from yours. But I think the thing that's really important to underscore, and it's something that is itself tied to the kind of Catholic mission that we aspire towards, is when people disagree, even if it's on, you know, these really deeply personal aspects, they do so respectfully. You know, modeling respectful disagreement is something that that we and I talk with students about a lot and understanding that we might not see eye to eye. We might really disagree on things that even affect who I am as a person, but not disrespecting someone, not devaluing their their human worth. I think that's the big lesson that we try to take away. And so I think that this is a space where uh, members of the LGBTQ community will find fellowship with other members of the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community, with allies, with people who care. I mean, one of the things that I'm really proud of that we've been doing is developing more programming in that direction. So one thing for our, our Catholic students who are gay um, is having an LGBT mass that we do in Dillon Hall once a month. Uh, Father Joe Corpora is sort of championing that effort, and we've been doing it since last semester. Another thing that we did at the law school that I thought was really great was we put on an event that was, uh, we called it All God's Children, Ministry to the LGBT Community. 
and it was all about so we brought in a few um of the priests from the congregation of the holy cross to speak with dean cole about the importance of inclusivity and lgbt community being a part of the catholic mission and the catholic uh spirit that we're trying to embody here so you know for me it's about let's center this issue because it's clearly an issue that people think about it's clearly an issue that people have a lot of assumptions about Mm -hmm. and rather than making those assumptions rather than disqualifying yourself because you're assuming that you're not going to belong here let's actually have this conversation and let's see that we can be proven wrong you know about the people that um that are going to be our peers and our professors and you know so that's the way that i would sort of frame it for a student um there's always progress. There's always a way to go and to get better. But this is a this is an area where I believe that we're committed to doing the work. Great. That's really great to hear. So we've talked a lot about the written statements that you that you submit with the application, the optional statements as well. Um, Want to get to something that I'm sure a lot of prospective students are curious about, which is LSAT and GPA. Mm-hmm. So starting with standardized tests. Recently, um, it's been allowed for schools to offer not just the LSAT, but also the GRE. Does Notre Dame have a preference between those? So that's a little bit of a complicated question. The LSAT score median is something that we do have to report on as a law school. It is something that is used in the rankings, which, you know, as much as anyone would probably like to get away from those, The rankings are what many students use to decide on which law school to attend or even which law schools to apply to. So, um, you know, at this point, that is just something we all still have to consider. Uh, So with the LSAT, um, you know, that is still the vast majority of our students are applying with an LSAT score. Um, We do have students who are applying with GRE scores only, and that is the only way um, really that can be considered. We will... um, for students who have an LSAT score and a GRE score, our primary consideration will be for the LSAT score. Um, so if you have already taken the LSAT, then just continue to focus on that. Um, but again, like I said, we do admit students who have a GRE score only. Um, you know, typically for that, we're looking for students who have a favorable GPA as well. Um, and it really comes down again to the individual student, what their path has been, especially for students who, you know, have already earned a graduate degree or maybe are considering pursuing other graduate programs and maybe haven't taken the LSAT, but do have a strong GRE score that they feel good about um, and are ready to apply with that score. Um, that is something that we will accept and consider for the application process. And so then when we're talking about the LSAT itself, what are some of the things that are important for students to know? You know, does it matter how many times you've taken the LSAT uh, in terms of how you're scoring on the LSAT if you're not quite able to break 150 or break 160 or hit the median for the law school? What should you be uh, what should you be doing to sort of strengthen your chances of getting sure. admitted? So there's a lot of questions wrapped up into that question. Um, I mean, generally, you know, student the applications that we're seeing, students have taken an LSAT maybe two or three times. Um, that's certainly acceptable, especially the difference between two and three. You know, that really isn't a preference for the law school. We are going to consider the student's highest LSAT score. So, um, you know, just to kind of be relieved with that for some students. But if you 
you know, didn't do well on your initial test, um, you know, ultimately we do recommend trying to prepare as much as you can before sitting for the LSAT exam. I think even just for the investment of your own time and finances um, to be as best prepared for that first sitting. Um, Now, like I said, it's, you know, completely fine to take it a second or third time, especially if you feel like you can um, improve your score. And especially if there were circumstances that may have affected one of your LSAT scores prior to. We know that the last few years have been very complicated with testing, you know, given the um, just how the pandemic affected testing online. And, you know, LSAC was able to make that change pretty quickly. But of course, you know, there's students who are having technical issues or have had those issues. So knowing that there are circumstances that affect scores, um, you know, for a student to be able to to continue to sit for the LSAT exam and, and to provide their highest score to us. Um, there are a lot of different ways to prepare for the LSAT. Um, there are resources that are free. So I definitely want to just shout out to Khan Academy. They have partnered with LSAC and so they do have official LSAT prep that is free for students. And so I usually encourage students to at least start there, um, especially if they are limited financially on resources. Um, but it does take an investment of time and, and finances to take the LSAT exam. Um, and so that is, and it is ultimately important in the application process. That said, it is not the end all be all to the application. As we've said before, we read the entire application, um, and with the medians that are reported for us and for any other law school, that really means that half of the students who are enrolling in our law school don't have that LSAT score, um, you know, Theoretically, they could have any LSAT score that's below that. Um, that's not necessarily we're admitting everyone with an LSAT score below. Um, but we really encourage students to, again, think about the application holistically, given that we're going to review it holistically. So, you know, earn the LSAT score that you think you can earn. If you know you can do better, go ahead and take the LSAT again. Um, but at the same time, know that we're reading your whole application. We want to get to know you as a person predict your your academic and professional success, but also consider your fit for our community. The word that you mentioned a couple of times is holistic. And so, you know, with a school like Notre Dame, given how small the class sizes are and the volume of applications that we get, one of the things that is just a matter of unfortunate fact is not every qualified candidate is going to be admitted. Uh, even if you hit the medians, you might not get admitted. Right. And part of that does have to do with this idea of looking at a holistic Uh, taking a holistic approach to application review rather than just looking at a person's raw numbers. So can you just flesh out a bit what it means to take a holistic approach to reviewing a law school application? And what specifically does that look like for us at Notre Dame? Sure. So I consider holistic review to mean reading the whole application. And, you know, as I said, we do that for every single application that comes through our office, regardless of LSAT scores, GPA, um, we're going to read through the entire application and it will be seen by at least two different people. Um, And so that is important to us to, you know, knowing the amount of time that students put into these applications to try to give them some of that time, you know, and consideration ourselves. Um, we do not have any sort of algorithm, uh, when it comes to reading the application and weighing different pieces of the application. Um, you know, I have often heard of admissions being talked about as an art and a science. Um, you know, there are some hard numbers that we are looking at, but at the same time, you know, like I said, we're trying to predict a student's 
you know, potential for success, both in law school, in their career afterwards, um, and then also over, overall their fit for our community and if this is the kind of student that we would really like to have at Notre Dame. Um, so we're considering every piece of the application when trying to make that determination. Um, and it's all important to us. And for each individual applicant, I would say is that those weightings change. Um, you know, there are students who have done extremely well in their undergraduate experience, both in their grades and then also in their you know involvement in their community. Um, but perhaps their LSAT score, you know, isn't at our median. Um, there are students that we're admitting with that profile. Um, and there are students with maybe a very different profile, um, with maybe a higher LSAT score, maybe a late bloomer during their undergraduate experience. Um, you know, we're, of course, we're still looking for students who are going to have that academic strength, but we'll consider if you were a pre-med major uh, for a year or for a year of whole four years earning your undergraduate degree. Um, you know, there's so many different factors that we're taking into consideration that, um, again, it's just important for the student to be authentic to themselves um, and to really try to represent themselves as best they can, knowing and hopefully taking comfort in the fact that we are going to pay close attention to all of those different factors. If the LSAT is one numerical component to the law school application, GPA is the counterbalancing component. Marisa explained that a student's application may still be competitive even if one of those numbers falls below the law school's median. Probably the majority of applications and the majority of incoming students are what we would call splitters. So either have a an LSAT that's above the median and a GPA below the median, or a GPA above our median and an LSAT score below our median. Um, so since we're admitting so many of those students and that's a large portion of our applicant pool, we of course then have to dig much deeper beyond those numbers to determine which of those students to admit. Um, I will say if there is a drastic difference between those numbers, um, it could be helpful, especially if there are specific, specific circumstances that led to those numbers being so different for an applicant to explain that in an addendum. Um, but if those numbers are, like I said, just, you know, one's just above, one's just below the median, um, we don't necessarily need an explanation again, unless there's specific circumstances that led to that. Um, but it's again going to come down to then the rest of the application. Um, when we're looking at GPA, we don't just look at the final cumulative GPA as LSAC calculates. And that is important for students to think about too, when especially if they have records from multiple undergraduate institutions, which can include for a lot of students dual enrollment classes from high school. So think about that too. Um, but we're also looking at the trend in the grades, um, you know, the rigor of your coursework that you took in your undergraduate experience. Um, you know, we're reading the letters of recommendation to know more about who you are as a student because your grades will only tell us so much. Um, there's a lot of different things that we're considering just within the transcript itself beyond that final cumulative GPA number. Um, so, you know, of course, do the best that you can, um, explain any circumstances that may have affected any of those specific grades or the overall number. Um, but again, know that we're reviewing your application holistically. One of the things that you mentioned was letters of recommendation. What kinds of recommendations are helpful for students to have? 
Sure. I mean, particularly given that we're admitting students to an academic program, we would love to see an academic letter of recommendation. So a faculty member who has taught you in a classroom um, is helpful, or that might be a virtual classroom for some a lot of students who are graduating from college now. Um, but it can be really helpful for us to just, like I said, know more about who you are as a student, what kind of student you are in the classroom, which is more than what just your grades can tell us. It is really helpful if this is someone who knows you a little bit more than than just that, just than just another seat in their classroom. Um, you know, if, if it's a professor that you've talked to during office hours, um, if it is someone you have not yet really had a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I recommend you do that before you ask them to write a letter of recommendation for you. At the very least, talk to them about why you're applying to law schools and um maybe why you're asking them to be your recommender. Um, we, of course, have students who maybe are a little bit more removed from school, um, and so maybe requesting letters of recommendation from employers. Um, that is helpful to us as well. We certainly don't require an academic letter, although, like I said, it can be helpful, especially if you're currently in school or only maybe a couple years out. Um, but uh, we do require two and we will accept up to four, although I would encourage students to stick to those two unless they really believe that another recommender would add something different to their application that the first two did not. Um, you know, again, we don't want to keep reading the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, four different professors all saying the same things about you is not really helpful for us in the application process. Um, but if you have recommenders from, um, you know, an academic and a professional and maybe, um, one from a volunteer experience, maybe that's very different from your professional and academic experiences. Um, but just to really think about what each of those letters might add to your application. So quality over quantity. Definitely. So one of the things with that then that I typically like to tell students is make it a recommender who is someone that actually knows you, mm -hmm. that actually can speak to your performance in the classroom setting or in the professional setting, rather than having someone who has a lofty title that can't really say that much about you. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Um, and we even have, you know, I've seen letters of recommendation from family friends that maybe that family friend does know you decently and they happen to be a judge or, you know, uh, or a Notre Dame alum, um, but they cannot speak to the kind of student you are or who you are in a professional environment, only maybe in a social environment. Um, you know, again, that's not as helpful to us in the admissions process. We're trying to determine your academic and professional potential. So really someone who knows you from an academic or professional environment is the most important. Um, that's much more important than their title. And another thing that you mentioned is submitting an addendum. And so why do we use addendums? Why do we have them? And when should you use one? There's a lot of examples of when you could submit an addendum. Um, basically, it's when there is something else you would really like for the admissions team to know that you're not able to convey through any other part of the application. So, um, you know, the most common and, and what I've mentioned before with the GPA or LSAT score, if there's specific circumstances that impacted either or both of those numbers, um, to make sure to explain those to us. Um, I know a lot of students are afraid of sounding like they're trying to make excuses. And I think, um, 
there's a way to write it that doesn't sound like you're making an excuse that you really are just offering an explanation of circumstances. Um, and the, the other thing I would really encourage, and this is a lot more rare, but I would really love for more students to do this is to then show us other parts of your application or highlight ways in which you do demonstrate your potential for success, um, or to find ways to, um, to make sure that we know, um, you know, what you can do, not just, you know, again, like offering excuses for circumstances, but, um, but to say, this is why I really do think I will be successful in law school. Here's what I plan to change about myself or my circumstances or my life, um, that would be able to help me in law school. Um, or just, you know, why I think I can be successful. Um, I would love to hear that from students. So something I think that kind of goes along with with submitting addenda is the the character and fitness questions that you have to answer on an application. And I think this is a really, really important area because in some ways, character and fitness questions are intended to be a barrier, you know, to Mm -hmm. certain instances that, you know, we don't want to see in the legal profession, you know, recurring. But in other ways, I think that it can be a harmful and unintended barrier where people who maybe do have something that they could or should report as a character and fitness um, incident are still people who could be successful in law school and we would want in the legal profession, but they think for themselves that it's going to be disqualifying whatever it is in their background. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about what students should, how students should approach character and fitness and why exactly we have those questions in the first place. Sure. Well, I mean, kind of why we have the questions in the first place is, I mean, you've discussed that a little bit already. And I think some of what I'm going to say is a, going to be a repeat of some of the other things we've we've talked about already with other pieces of the application. Um, you know, don't make assumptions about what it is that the admissions committee wants to see or doesn't want to see. Um, you know, again, try to represent yourself in the best way possible and, um, you know, explain to us not just you know, any surrounding circumstances, but also what you foresee as your potential for success, both in law school and as a future attorney. Um, You know, as you mentioned, Max, the character and fitness can be a barrier um, as it is for the bar exam as a barrier to the legal practice. So, um, you know, we have to consider it similarly in the admissions process. Um, But again, I would advise students to, you know, not to make assumptions, um, to definitely to lean on um, disclosing (laughs) rather than omitting something from the application. Um, Again, you know, brevity is important. Details may be important in some circumstances, um, but to, you know, make sure again to try to represent yourself as best you can, um, you know, include any necessary details, um, but And then also, you know, consider if necessary, focusing on why, you know, you believe you can be uh, successful in practicing law. I would definitely underscore what you said about honesty and candor. Mm -hmm. I think that character and fitness questions are important for law schools when we're assessing with the folks that we want to admit. But it's also something that uh, gets addressed when you're trying to sit for the bar exam. Right. Every jurisdiction in which you're going to practice has character and fitness criteria that you need to meet. And the biggest thing, you know, when I was getting sworn in for the first time as an attorney, the biggest thing that they emphasized to us was your reputation. And your reputation is tied to your 
your honor, your mm-hmm. your honesty, mm-hmm. you know, your ability to be candid is so crucial. And in some cases, probably the weightier aspect to consider mm-hmm. if you withhold stuff, you know, that's where we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And so given that's the consideration, um, I think that is probably most emphasized, not the only one, but, you know, heavily emphasized in a lot of cases, should prospective students still apply to the law school if, for instance, they have a criminal record? Sure. I, I would really encourage students, and we, we do outline this specifically in the application, to check with their local jurisdiction. Um, you know, we are a national law school. We have students who are coming from all over the country and from also from different parts of the world and students who intend to practice in many different states. Um, you know, so at the same time, while we're trying to make some considerations, we really would emphasize to each individual student to do their own research. Um, obviously, you know, know their own record and to be familiar with, um, you know, what may prevent them from practicing um, and whether or not their record is going to be an issue. I mean, obviously, it's really going to differ based on an individual and based on the state. Um, so students should just go ahead and and do their own research there. Right. Doing your own research. And as you said before, not making assumptions, you know, the surest way not to get into law school is not to apply to law school. And there's a huge problem with people self-selecting themselves out of the running because they think they're not going to be able to make it because of something in their in their background that maybe is not disqualifying. Right. Last topic I want to cover with you before we wrap up. So in my capacity as director of diversity, equity and inclusion, I speak with a lot of current students who uh, who deal with, simply put, imposter syndrome. Mm. You know, they're students who come from different uh, minority backgrounds or first generation students, uh, you know, whatever the situation might be. But they're constantly grappling with this question of do I belong here? Do I fit here? Um, Am I you know, able to do this? All the while, they're succeeding and they're doing great, but those doubts creep in nevertheless. Mm -hmm. And from the admissions perspective, you know, can you just, I mean, we've gone through all of the criteria for vetting students. Uh, Do we make decisions based on, I don't know, sympathy? (laughs) I don't Mm. think that, I think the answer to that question is obvious, Mm -hmm. but I would love to hear you kind of speak on that yourself. Sure. I mean, given what we've said before about the applicant pool and, uh, you know, we have certainly have more students who could be successful at Notre Dame Law School who are applying than we could possibly admit. And um, without, you know, making the class hundreds of and hundreds and hundreds of students. Um, and so, you know, knowing that the students who we do admit to the law school are students whom we feel absolutely can be and, and should be, that we expect to be successful, um, you know, academically at Notre Dame, students that we that we want, that we are inviting to be part of our community. Um, And also knowing that (laughs) the way the Notre Dame Alumni Network is, you know, you're going to be part of our community for the rest of your life, not just the three years that you're on our campus. Um, And so, you know, again, you know, talking about how carefully we review each application, that these are students that we do believe in and that we want to be at our school. Um, I mean, I think even prior to that, just given some of the other things we've talked about with the application, I'm sure there are students that are, um, you know, working through imposter syndrome just to even get the application, you know, completed. Um, You know, we talked about being authentic to yourself and, you know, making sure to highlight your potential and, um, you know, what you've done and, I'll acknowledge that can be hard for 
probably most people, um, you know, kudos to you if it's not, if it's not difficult for you. Um, but that can be hard for a lot of people. And I think you could even go back to what we were talking about with having someone close to you interview you for that personal statement. I think maybe even asking them, you know, again, close friend or, or family to, you know, tell you what they think your best characteristics are um, and what they think you should highlight in your application. Um, yeah, it can be really hard to talk about yourself um, for a lot of people, especially to talk about your accomplishments or um, or maybe the very grand things that you hope to accomplish in the future. Um, and so, you know, relying on that support from the people that you have around you can be really helpful. Um but then I would say, too, to know that, you know, again, from the admissions office, um, that the students that we admit and that we enroll at Notre Dame, that, again, we believe in you and we want you to be here. Um, and if any of our current students need reminding of that, I'm happy to tell them. Marisa Simon is the director of admissions at Notre Dame Law School. Marisa, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you as always. Thank you for joining us on this first episode of the DEI podcast. <laughs>